Chapter Four of the Holiday Case. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Holiday Case: A Tale by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Four: I Have an Inspiration. I stared at the lines in dumb bewilderment. The man Rogers is lying. But what conceivable motive could he have for lying? Besides, as I looked at him on the stand, I would have sworn that he was telling the truth, and very much against his will. I had always rather prided myself upon my judgment of human nature. Had I erred so egregiously in this instance? The woman who was with Holiday wore a gown of dark green. Who was the writer of the note? How did he know the color of her gown? There was only one possible way he could know. He knew the woman. Plainly, too, he must have been present at the morning hearing. But if he knew so much, why did he not himself come forward? To this, too, there was but one answer. He must be an accomplice. But then again, if he were an accomplice, why should he imperil himself by writing this note, for it could very probably be traced? I found myself deeper in the mire, farther from the light, at every step. "'Do you wish to summon any witnesses, Mr. Royce?' asked the coroner again. "'I shall be glad to adjourn the hearing until to-morrow, if you do.' Mr. Royce roused himself with an effort. "'Thank you, sir,' he said. "'I may ask you to do that later on. Just at present I wish to recall Mr. Rogers.' "'Very well,' said the coroner, and Rogers was summoned from the witness-room. I looked at him attentively, trying to fathom his thoughts, to read behind his eyes, but look as I might, I could see nothing in his face save concern and grief. He had grown grey in Holliday's office. He had proved himself a hundred times a man to be relied on. He had every reason to feel affection and gratitude toward his employer, and I was certain that he felt both. He received a liberal salary, I knew, and was comfortably well-to-do. That he himself could have committed the crime, or been concerned in it in any way, was absolutely unthinkable. Yet why should he lie? Above all, why should he seek to implicate his employer's daughter? Even if he wished to implicate her, how could he have known the color of her gown? What dark, intricate problem was this that confronted us? In the moment that followed, I saw that Mr. Royce was studying him, too, was straining to find a ray of light for guidance. If we failed now... I read the note through again, a gown of dark green and suddenly, by a kind of clairvoyance, the solution of the mystery leapt forth from it. I leaned over to my chief, trembling with eagerness. "'Mr. Royce,' I whispered hoarsely, "'I believe I've solved the puzzle. Hold Rogers on the stand a few moments until I get back.' He looked up at me astonished, then nodded as I seized my hat and pushed my way through the crowd. Once outside the building, I ran to the nearest dry-goods house, three blocks away it was and what fearfully long blocks they seemed then back again to the court-room rogers was still on the stand but a glance at mr royce told me that he had elicited nothing new you take him lester he said as i sat down beside him i'm worn out quivering with apprehension i arose it was the first time i had been given the centre of the stage in so important a case here was my opportunity suppose my theory should break down after all mr rogers i began you've been having some trouble with your eyes haven't you he looked at me in surprise why yes a little he said 
nothing to amount to anything. How did you know? My confidence had come back again. I was on the right track then. I did not know, I said, smiling for the first time since I had entered the room. But I suspected. I have here a number of pieces of cloth of different colors. I should like you to pick out the one that most nearly approximates the color of the gown your visitor wore yesterday afternoon. I handed him the bundle of samples, and as I did so, I saw the district attorney lean forward over his desk with attentive face. The witness looked through the samples slowly, while I watched him with feverish eagerness. Mr. Royce had caught an inkling of my meaning, and was watching him too. "'There is nothing here,' said Rogers, at last, "'which seems quite the shade, but this is very near it.' He held up one of the pieces. With leaping heart I heard the gasp of astonishment which ran around the room. The jurymen were leaning forward in their chairs. "'And what is the color of that piece?' I asked. "'Why, dark red. I've stated that already.' I glanced triumphantly at the coroner. "'Your Honour,' I said, as calmly as I could, "'I think we've found the flaw in the chain. Mr. Rogers is evidently colour-blind. As you see, the piece he has selected is a dark green.' The whole audience seemed to draw a deep breath, and a little clatter of applause ran around the room. I could hear the scratch-scratch of the reporter's pencils. Here was a situation after their heart's desire. Mr. Royce had me by the hand, and was whispering brokenly in my ear, "'My dear fellow, you're the best of us all. I'll never forget it.' But Rogers was staring in amazement from me to the cloth in his hand, and back again. "'Green,' he stammered. "'Color-blind. Why, that's nonsense. I've, I've never suspected it.' "'That's probable enough,' I assented. "'The failing is no doubt a recent one. "'Most colour-blind persons don't know it until their sight is tested. "'Of course we shall have an oculist examine you, "'but I think this evidence is pretty conclusive.' Coroner Goldberg nodded, and the district attorney settled back in his chair. "'We've no further questions to ask this witness at present,' I continued. "'Only I'd like you to preserve this piece of cloth, sir,' and I handed it to Goldberg. He placed it with the other exhibits on his desk, and I sat down again beside my chief. He had regained all his old-time energy and keenness. He seemed another man. "'I should like to recall Miss Holliday's maid, if you please,' he said, and the girl was summoned, while Rogers stumbled dazedly off to the witness-room. "'You're quite sure your mistress wore a dark red gown yesterday afternoon?' he asked, when the girl was on the stand again. "'Oh, yes, sir, quite sure.' It was not dark green. Think carefully now. I don't have to think, she retorted sharply with a toss of her head. Miss Holliday hasn't any dark green gown, nor light one either. She never wears green. She doesn't like it. It doesn't suit her. That will do, said Mr. Royce, and the girl went back to the witness room without understanding in the least the meaning of the questions. Now let us have the office boy again, he said and that young worthy was called out. "'You say you didn't see the face of that woman who left your office yesterday afternoon?' "'No, sir.' "'But you saw her gown?' "'Oh, yes, sir.' "'And what colour was it?' "'Dark green, sir.' "'That will do,' said our junior, and sank back in his chair with a sigh of relief. 
the solution had been under our hands in the morning and we had missed it well we had found it now gentlemen he added his voice a ring his face alight as he sprang to his feet and faced the jury i am ready for your verdict i wish only to point out that with this one point the whole case against my client falls to the ground it was preposterous from the very first he sat down again and glanced at the coroner gentlemen of the jury began goldberg i have merely to remind you that your verdict whatever it may be will not finally affect this case the police authorities will continue their investigations in order that the guilty person may not escape i conceive that it is not within our province to probe this case further that may be left to abler and more experienced hands nor do i think we should inculpate any one so long as there is a reasonable doubt of his guilt we await your verdict the jury filed slowly out and i watched them anxiously in face of the coroner's instructions they could bring in but one verdict yet i knew from experience that a jury is ever an unknown quantity often producing the most unexpected results the district attorney came down from his seat and shook hands with both of us that was a great stroke he said with frank admiration whatever made you suspect mr royce handed him the note for answer he read it through and stared back at us in astonishment why he said who wrote this that's the note that was delivered to us a while ago answered mr royce you know as much about it as we do but it seems to me a pretty important piece of evidence i turned it over to you important cried singleton i should say so why gentlemen and his eyes were gleaming this was written either by an accomplice or by the woman herself my chief nodded precisely he said i'd get on the track of the writer without delay singleton turned and whispered a few words to a clerk who hurried from the room then he motioned to two smooth-faced well-built men who sat near by spoke a word to the coroner and retired with them into the latter's private office the reporters crowded about us with congratulations and questions they scented a mystery what was the matter with singleton what was the new piece of evidence was it the note what was in the note mr royce smiled gentlemen he said i trust that my connection with this affair will end in a very few minutes for any further information i must refer you to the district attorney the case is in his hands but those men he had summoned into his office were carl and johnston the cleverest detectives on the force what did he want with them mr royce merely shrugged his shoulders whereat the reporters deserted him and massed themselves before the door into the coroner's room it opened in a moment and the two detectives came hurrying out they looked neither to the right nor left but shouldered their way cruelly through the crowd paying not the slightest attention to the question showered upon them then the district attorney came out and took in the situation at a glance gentlemen he said raising his voice i can answer no questions i must request you to resume your seats or i shall ask the coroner to clear the room they knew that he meant what he said so they went back to their chairs chagrined disgusted biting their nails striving vainly to work out a solution to the puzzle it was the coroner's clerk who created a diversion the jury is ready to report sir he announced very well bring them out 
and the jurymen filed slowly back to their seats. I gazed at each face and cursed the inexpressiveness of the human countenance. "'Have you arrived at a verdict, gentlemen?' asked the coroner. "'We have, sir,' answered one of them, and handed a paper to the clerk. "'Is this your verdict, gentlemen?' asked the coroner. "'Do you all concur in it?' They answered in the affirmative, as their names were called. "'The clerk will read the verdict,' said Goldberg. Julius stood up and cleared his throat. "'We, the jury,' he read, "'impanelled in the case of Hiram W. Holliday, deceased, "'do find that he came to his death from a stab-wound in the neck, "'inflicted by a penknife in the hands of a person or persons unknown.'" End of chapter 4